Eastern Broadcast Service welcomes you to this worldwide presentation. Thank you once again for adjusting your mobile device to receive today's program. Saturn Times Podcast, episode 16, week 29 of 2020. Welcome to you again, and thank you so much for tuning in, downloading, streaming, whatever it is that you do with this podcast. I don't really want to know all the details. Wherever you are in the world, thank you so much, and you can connect uh, with us, as always, on editor at santantimes.co.za. You can uh, visit us on social media at Times on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, whatever suits you. You can use the hashtag Times Podcast, and obviously don't forget to visit the blog santantimes.co.za. You can subscribe, share, and leave a review and rating for this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Well, welcome to our listeners from Santon and around the world, uh, and this past week, including Ireland. Ireland seems to be on the on the charts every week, which is quite amazing. I don't know. We don't talk about Kerry Gold. We don't talk about uh, Guinness or any of those other things. So I don't know why all the Irish are always listening. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's that kind of show. And also, our loyal listeners this week from the Russian Federation, I'd uh, try and say hello in Russian or uh, say a few words, but I'm not even going to try. I'm going to just butcher it, and that would be very undiplomatic. So, all is well in Santon land. You know what? I was thinking about it this past weekend. It's a great time to be downloading podcasts, especially this one, uh, because with all the load shedding that we've been having, like what entertainment is there? When the power goes out, nothing works. TV doesn't work. Just nothing, nothing works. So what, what do we do? Uh, you kind of have to make the best of a bad situation. And if you've got the podcast downloaded on your device, you can listen to them even when the power goes out. As long as you've got battery on your phone, it's some entertainment in the dark, at least. And you've got something to listen to, at least, if nothing else. I mean, you could probably could read a book or, or make a fire. So, you know, there's something to think about. People were emailing me last week and saying, like, where was your, your co-host for last week? And uh, I totally forgot to talk about it because it was actually a bit of a, a frantic uh, runaround because uh, she lost her voice. You know, these days, not only do you have to worry about making sure that you guys have got great content every week, but our co-host got sick and lost her voice. So we had to kind of just make do with, you know, last minute changes. But this week, I'm really excited that I've got another co-host. And uh, let me introduce her. It's Kriya Gangia. Hey, Alex, how are you? Good morning, Kriya. How are you? Great, thanks. I love the theme song. Do you like it? I it's feel very... like I could be in a Bond movie. It's very 80s. Oh, I love it. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. So, welcome, Kriya. Thank you so much for being on uh, the podcast this week. Thank you so much for having me. There we go. You can get some applause. Woo! <laughs> Aren't you glad you dressed up this morning? Completely. The makeup was worth it. <laughs> And the curlers and everything. (laughs) So, Kriya, a lot of people may know you uh, from radio, from television. Uh, You've been presenting uh, Mela. Did I pronounce that correctly? Mela? Correct, that's right, Uh, yes. For a very long time on the uh, South African Broadcasting Services, is that right? Yes. So, do you remember Eastern Mosaic back in the day? Now we're really going old school. Do I remember Eastern Mosaic? Of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> so Mela is a revamped version of Eastern Mosaic. Okay, interesting stuff, yeah. man. Sure. And how's that been going? I mean, just give people a bit of sense. I mean, for those people who haven't watched Eastern Mosaic or Mela, like, what's the show about? 
it's a a window into the South African Indian landscape. And essentially a mela or the word mela means a gathering, a coming together of people. And this kind of gives you just a little bit of insight. We look at young South Africans that are doing fantastic things. We look at how South African or Indians came to South Africa. We look at the colors, the excitement, everything that goes along with the South African Indian landscape. And to be honest, it is an honor to be part of the show and to be part of the legacy of Mela. So tell me, I mean, your your Indian heritage, where does that kind of go back to? Is it sort of Gujarati, Punjab? So Tamil? I am fourth or fifth generation Indian. I think I'm a South African Indian. Um, we are ta- of half Tamil, half Telugu descent. And uh, our families actually came over in the ships back, back, back in the day to work the sugarcane plantations. And I think up until my grandfather's generations, they actually still lived on the sugarcane plantations and only really started moving out when my dad and the kids had to go to varsity and that sort of stuff. So it's actually quite a long legacy in South Africa. And uh, that's why you have sugar on your table. <laughs> Lucky us. <laughs> Could have been a better way of doing it, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah. I've had the privilege of working with uh, both South African and Indian Indian colleagues over yes. the last uh, decade. So uh, they often said to me, Alex, you're you're more Indian than you are uh, anything else. So I, I, you know, resonate with the culture very, very much. So I had the the privilege of attending two Indian weddings in India, which was just... Oh, fabulous. That's more than... I've, I've never been to India before. So oh. that's I'm very jealous. And can I tell you a funny story? It was never on my list of places to go for no other reason, but I guess there were just so many other places that I wanted to go to first. And had never thought about it, had never considered it. It kind of felt a bit like a bit of an esoteric kind of holiday that I wasn't mm-hmm. really kind of looking forward to. And the opportunity came up and I thought, okay, great. Let me get myself a kurta. Let me, you know, do the whole thing that, as you do in Indian weddings. I mean, you have to have five different outfits. Yes. And let me tell you, the one was in uh, Udaipur. Yes. Uh, so that's sort of uh, north of Mumbai, very, very mm-hmm. roughly said. You know, it's sort of the palace region. Um, and the other one was sort of more uh, north of Delhi, which yes. was in... My memory fails me. Hold on. One was Udaipur <laughs> and the other one was, okay, it'll come to me. It'll come to yeah. me. But it's sort of, anyway, it, it, it ended up becoming the most insane holiday. Uh, tried to uh, do a stopover in Goa while, whilst mm-hmm. there and ended up having a 24-hour trip from from where this, the second wedding was through Delhi, Bangalore, because there's this crazy thing that happens in Delhi in December. They have this insane weather that pops yeah. up and uh, it's just uh, fog. So you can't actually get out of the airport. That compounded oh. with the fact that during the time, the um, Prime Minister of India decided to change the currency. Like he decided to shut down the rupee, uh, bring in new currencies, declare some of the, the old notes um, null and void. And it just caused absolute havoc on uh, on this trip. Uh, and I mean, it was just, it was like the amazing race. So for t- it took us 24 hours to get from north of Delhi to Goa. I mean, never again. It was just absolutely madness. So I, I can highly recommend phenomenal. it otherwise. I mean, I know that's a huge, it's a huge endorsement for a trip to India. <laughs> but what, what is your favorite part of an Indian wedding? Let's see how Indian you really are, Alex. Can I tell you something? We were so privileged to attend this wedding. It was held at an, an old palace. It was a 150-year-old mm. palace, the first one. It was just off the hook. I mean, we had, I mean, you know, four different ceremonies. Yep touched down with little to no sleep, went to the first 
party which happened at the at the hotel. I mean, literally without any sleep, going straight into this festival of of just food. I mean, you know what the food's like. Waiting for you to say your food. The food's your favorite Come part on. of a wedding. And just the, the 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 marigolds and it was just over you know, and, and trying to figure out what to wear at what ceremony was just also just amazing. Then that evening, that same evening, the former Indian cricket captain had his wedding at that hotel. Wow. How's that, right? I mean, it doesn't get better than that. So now <laughs> you're busy trying to cross the lobby of the hotel to your ceremony whilst, you know, the whole of India's media paparazzi standing in the lobby trying to take pictures of the guests attending his wedding. And eventually I just said to, to, to my colleagues that I was there with, look, just wave and smile. Nobody knows <laughs> where you fit. And I think half of us ended up on, on, on NDTV or whatever the, the state broadcaster was that evening. Yes. And it was just, it was just such a, and I mean, once again, more food, right? I mean, there were like 20 food stalls with everything, all the great Indian dishes that you can just imagine, you know? Oh, and I, mean, I am jealous and salivating at the same time <laughs> as you're talking. And Kriya, we're actually here to talk to you, not to me. <laughs> so um, You can see I'm in radio and broadcasting. <laughs> Flip the switch. Yeah, I know. It's scary. scary. But, but listen, I mean, if you haven't watched Mela, if you if you used to watch Easter Mosaic, I mean, uh, it's such, like you say, it's such a great window into seeing uh, uh, sort of Indian culture in South Africa. And so funny, we often confuse the two so much because South African Indians have so, like their real own culture. Uh, so many often don't identify with India, India, which on its own has 200 different languages and different cultures, depending on where you come from. If you're coming from Kerala, if you're coming from Bangalore, it's so True. vastly different. And I think what's really important in South Africa is that we've got so many cultures that are coming together. I mean, South Africa really is a melting pot. And to have a little bit of information and a little bit of an understanding of a different culture, especially an Indian culture, where sometimes we don't really, we're not as boastful. We don't go out there. We don't kind of communicate some of our successes and that sort of stuff. And to have just that little bit of extra information, extra understanding, I think it gives a whole new dynamic to the Indian culture. Also, you've brought it's so many things that are so unique to South African Indian culture as well that you wouldn't, you know, you mentioned this to somebody in Mumbai and they don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly, especially the food. Like a lot of people will say, okay, cool, we're going to our favorite Indian restaurant and we're having a curry that has a majority um, coconut base or coconut milk base, which is actually not a South African Indian curry. It's actually a North Indian curry. So some of the representations are not true to what South African Indians are. And I think that's what's really nice about we've got a chef on the show that cooks South African Indian dishes. And it's really nice to see that there is those differences. Unbelievable, Kriya. And I think we're going to get into this uh, more as we uh, as we kind of unpack uh, this, this week's uh, episode. You're also quite an avid uh, travel blogger as well. So you haven't been to India, but where have you been to? So we've been very lucky um, with the travel blog. Is we just generally love traveling. So I started talking about the experiences that we do. And myself and my partner specifically like doing kind of off-the-beaten-track adventures. So we've actually gone to Svalbard, which is the northernmost Settlement in the world. It's a thousand two hundred kilometers away from the geometric North Pole. Swilbar, There's more polar Swilbar. bears on the island than there are people uh, to see the Northern Lights. Uh, we've gone to the Philippines and gone through about four islands within the Philippines. We've done Sri Lanka. Uh, we like doing some unique destinations, and I started blogging about it because a lot of people would 
ask me questions. Oh, we really want to go see Northern Lights. How did you book this trip? So that's how the blog kind of came about. And we've been very, very lucky to see some of the places that we've seen. Well, it doesn't sound like your usual kind of uh, Paris, London, New York kind of trip. I mean, this sounds like real adventure. Well, we've done a few of those as well. <laughs> I had to go to Disneyland, Paris. Absolutely. Please, my inner child. But yes, no, it's it's some of those things that, like the next one that's on my bucket list or on my, my kind of feed is going to follow the cherry blossoms through Japan and actually see the whole process and, and see them blossoming from the north all the way down to the south. So it's something that I'm, I'm really keen on doing. So, Kriya, I think let's get into uh, the stories making headline in Sandton for this week. And this update is brought to you by MegaFlightDeals.com, your one-stop for non-stop cheap flights. And I saw they had a, a surprise sort of uh, extension to that mango deal that was running uh, for quite some time. Uh, it was over the last couple of weeks. And they extended it for three days where you could get 20% off the base fare of any mango flight to Joburg, Durban and Cape Town. So you've got to make sure that you're following Mega Flight Deals on Twitter because you never know when these things pop up. So we've got a lot of hotels in and around Santon. I mean, almost every second hotel is now become COVID-19 compliant. They're taking on uh, guests who've been repatriated over the weeks to sit in quarantine for two weeks before they kind of can go back to their homes. And then there's also been quite a few hotels who have opened for business travel but are not necessarily COVID-19 hotels. And uh, IOL reports a woman showing COVID-19 symptoms right now is fighting being kicked out of a Santon hotel without proper health care. Now, it's a bit of a a catch-22 because it's not a COVID-19 hotel and maybe, you know, on the other hand, the hotel could be a little bit better prepared for for the situation. But the lady supposedly wasn't showing symptoms uh, when she checked in and it kind of developed as it went along. But she told the star that her first few days at the hotel were fine until she started showing showing COVID-19 symptoms on uh, Monday last week. And she alleges that the hotel ordered her to leave due to her health condition. She says the hotel has not been helpful. I've been blowing blood clots from my nose. Sure. I have a sore throat. I'm nauseous and getting medical attention is just not easy. The nearest pharmacies are out of testing kits and the same goes for testing labs. The Federated Hospitality Association of South Africa Chief Executive Lee Zummer said the hotel cannot be held liable if they were not earmarked as a COVID-19 isolation site. So, yeah, I mean, a difficult situation to be in. I don't know about you, uh, Kriya. I mean, have you contemplated uh, going anywhere or, or, or maybe, you know, looking forward to that time when you can uh, travel somewhere again? We have thought about it, but unfortunately at this point in time, it's just not something that's viable for us. But there's little things that you can do that you don't have to really stay out. I know a lot of the national parks are open, so you can still go on nice self-drive game drives and that sort of stuff if you want to please your travel spirit. But unfortunately, it's just not something that's logistically safe at the moment. I, I know. I mean, I've also got the itch. I mean, just a weekend getaway would be so fabulous. But on the other hand, you also have to be conscious of the state that we're in. And I guess it might still take a couple of weeks or a couple of months before we um, get to go somewhere again, even if it is for a, for a short break. Another story here is uh, that South Africa's new lockdown rules have come into effect. The president announced uh, a whole new set of rules. And businesstech.ca.za reports that uh, while much of the focus has been placed on the reintroduction of restrictions, including a ban on the sale of alcohol and uh, new evening curfew, the directive also outlines a number of specific restrictions. And the following activities are specifically prohibited under the new directive. As we just mentioned, hotels, lodges, bed and breakfast, timeshift 
facilities and resorts and guest houses for leisure purposes are are a no-no. Uh, short-term home sharing, letting, leasing, and rental is also a no-no. And I see uh, there have been some fascinating stories online uh, of Airbnb owners, people who run Airbnbs as a as a full-time job who've uh, le- been left with nothing right now because uh, none of that's running. Then domestic passenger air travel for leisure purposes also no. Uh, pass- passenger ships for leisure purposes. I'm sure even the... Um Occasional sort of Sunday trip on the Harder Beers, but dams probably also out. Beaches, also no. Public parks, except for exercise and subject to health protocols. So we've got a couple of cool parks here in and around Santon. So I suppose you can start running in them again, uh, but no sort of parties or, or gatherings. Sporting events, except for those provided for by the minister. Exclusions relating to public transport, except for those provided for by the minister. And exclusions relating to education services, except for those provided for or by the minister. And then also the cigarette ban is still in place. And the directive also draws specific attention to the continued ban on the sale of e-cigarettes and cigarettes. And then it goes into the whole sale of tobacco story, which I suppose now alcohol is also part of that as well. And lastly, Mnet this week confirmed that South Africa will be getting its own season of The Bachelorette. Kriya, are you are you a big Bachelor Nation fan? Do you know what? I'm going to be honest. I've never been a fan of the show. I just feel like, may, okay, well, it's nice that they've turned the tables now and then there's a bachelorette. But um, I don't know. I just don't, I don't enjoy the behavior of the woman. I don't enjoy why we need to have 25 women fighting for one guy. Like it just, it, some of it just doesn't appeal to me. Well, then ignore the next 60 seconds of this, uh, of this <laughs> Sorry. <part. laughs> because The Bachelor in South Africa is already in pre-production and the identity of the countries rose like no other will be revealed later this week. And it's now the turn of single guys, you see, to get ready to put their names forward if they wish to become part of this love journey. And entries for the show will be open immediately after the name of South Africa's first bachelorette is announced. And I believe it'll uh, start screening in 2021. So there's still some time, but obviously it has to be recorded at some point during this year, whenever that is. And uh, yeah, so Claire, don't worry about that. Uh, the Bachelorette's back, but don't worry. <laughs> I was I'm glad say- it's now a Bachelorette and not another Bachelor. I'm very yes, glad yes, about it's a, that. Yes, it's a female and it'll be men who will now be yes. vying for this this lady's heart. I was going to say, <laughs> could it potentially be you? But you gave away the game quite early that uh, it's <laughs> not you. So although that could also be an interesting way of telling a significant other that, you know, kind of maybe I'm looking at somebody else right now when you suddenly appear on a TV show <laughs> like this. But we're hoping to, to get some more details uh, on that. And... Uh, Joining us on the line uh, in a few minutes is uh, Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss. He's the portfolio manager to give us a, a business update. I even got you your own intro jingle. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you know, no problem. <laughs> So Gary, let's let's get into it. Uh, this week's business: uh, the alcohol industry got completely blindsided uh, this week with this uh, booze ban. Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable. Uh, you, you know, I think the economic impact this is going to have, and uh, obviously everyone is uh, outraged by the. I suppose the, the suddenness of the decision. So we've seen everything from people, you know, potentially challenging the the ban as unconstitutional, all the way through to you know, I think just. The, blatant you know, dis- disregarding of the ban as well. So 
So it's an interesting one. I mean, if you look at the, the economic impact that uh, that the industry is going to have, it's going to be severe. So they, they've already talked about about one million jobs being lost uh, thanks to the continuation of the ban. So we were briefly allowed to open and now obviously close the game. You know, if you look at the local wine industry, they're saying they're currently losing about 450 million rand per week that alcohol sales are banned for, for locals. They say over the period of the ban, they've lost around uh, 3 billion in revenue so far. Um, and just, just them alone, they say that the wine industry is going to make up for about 300,000 jobs that are, that are going to disappear. So, so it's a travesty. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that we, we are not allowed to drink. We understand the rationale behind it, obviously. Um, and I think I understand the suddenness as well. I mean, obviously, you don't want uh, you know, alcohol-related uh, violence to, to make up possible beds. I understand that argument. Um, I also understand the argument uh, behind the suddenness of it, because at the same time, you know, you want to avoid people stocking up and, you know, you, you want to avoid the long queues at liquor stores uh, and the potential transmission of the coronavirus. But at the same time, this kind of prohibition era decision to just uh, levy a, like a total, total prohibition will result in black markets as well. So essentially, all, all the, the economic damage that's being done is also going to erode the tax base. And, and I mean, it's like economics 101. If you essentially prohibit something that a society... Uh, desires enough. All that results is uh, it creates essentially a, a black market. We saw it with prohibition in the 30s in the US, and essentially bootlegging and uh, you know side industries just just establish themselves. And all that really results in is lower quality product. It results in uh, you know potentially the dangerous kind of moonshine, um, and it results in lost tax revenue. So I mean I understand I think the goal of the, this policy, but I think the way that they're implementing it is is just crazy. Any impact on the listed uh, companies, alcohol companies on, on the JSE? Yeah, so if you look at the, the listed companies, essentially we've got AB InBev on our, our exchange, but it's, it's such a small component of the, the overall uh, mechanics of that company. South Africa hardly moves the dial. Uh, if you look at it, they, they serve about one in three beers worldwide. And South Africa, you know, as a percentage of, GD, of global GDP makes up around half a percent of global GDP. So it's really not going to move the needle for, for a company like AB InBev. I think that's more, you know, the, the kind of pressure that we've seen on the AB InBev stock recently is more to do with just, you know, global lockdowns and potentially people not being able to you know, be served in, in restaurants and pubs as they stay at home. You know, they've got other issues as well with the kind of rise of craft beer and, and microbreweries. So, you know, they, they haven't been too badly affected by the South African one. The, the one company that has is down. I mean, it's one of the, if you look at, uh, you know, five five day moves on, on stocks, you've got Distel down around 12.3% at the moment. So over five days. So Distel certainly starting to feel the pressure of removing essentially alcohol from our society. And then Edcon's the one we've been watching quite carefully on, and they've got a massive square meterage at Santon City. Fashini Group is now saying they might buy Jet, or are they? Good question. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting. It, it does. Yeah, I mean, they, they've kind of made a firm offer. It's still got to go through some of the, the, the negotiations and the, and the various approvals to get the deal done. But it looks, you know, on the face of it, it looks like it looks like a good deal but a risky deal as well. So in terms of the price that they're offering 480 million Rand for jet, it's going to allow them to kind of move into the, the value segment of the market, which I think is going to do well. But I say it's a risky, and the reason it's a good deal is they, they're going to take on about 800 million Rand's worth of inventory. So that just the inventory kind of pays for the, pays for the deal. But um, the problem is that uh, obviously, we, you know, we've got massive, massive contractions in consumer spending predicted in South Africa. And you've also got a, like a structural shift going on in, in the retail, especially the apparel retail market, as more and more goods are sold online. 
and uh, stores change from those kind of traditional brick and mortar stores into more concept stores, you know, as Nike's pursuing. You know, you get kind of more of an experience. You might go and try on a shoe, but then you can customize it online and you'll actually end up ordering it through the website. And, you know, in that way, a brand is important. And I don't know if the, the Jet brand is strong enough that it in itself will, will carry a, a digitalization strategy. But uh, yeah, overall, it, I mean, an interesting deal, like to be able to renegotiate because because of essentially the, the business rescue of Edcon and the, the, the movement of the asset that is Jet into the Fashini Group stable. They're going to be allowed to obviously renegotiate all their employment contracts as well as their lease agreements as part of the, uh, as part of the deal. Um, that's going to allow them to, I think, reset the cost base on, on the jet asset uh, nicely, which uh, means that potentially Fashini will be able to make a go of it. And even if it is still, I think, a strategically difficult market, uh, given, given the changes that we're facing and, and, and the pressure that the, the local consumers are under, um, I think they are probably best positioned and, and a lot better positioned than, than Edcon was uh, managing jet. And then the car rental business is also just a complete mess. I see, you know, first it's Hertz that's gone out of business, and now Bidvest Car Rental is also saying, you know, it's it's time to to pack up shop. Uh, so that that Hertz story was one of the most fascinating stories in the, in the market this year, if you ask me. So, um, now Hertz essentially is a bankrupt company. They they you know it's it's obviously facing enormous pressure based on you know the, the suspension of. Air, air airline and business travel. Um, and it's it's a company that, you know, people call it a tired brand. It's, it's, a, it's a business that is, you know, I suppose car rental is a business that's ripe for disruption, especially, I suppose, the, people, the way people are pricing Tesla these days. And, you know, the, the potential advent of, of autonomous driving, now I'm talking just from a share price point of view, it's also a very, very competitive market. I don't know when, if, if you guys have been to the airport in recent years and rented cars for, for when, when you land on the other side. The, the price that you pay for for renting a car is just ludicrously low. Um, you know, it's comparable or, you know, there, there's a time where we actually did the calculations to work out whether it was cheaper just to rent a car every day rather than actually own a vehicle because it's it's that competitive a market. And it, it makes it very, very difficult to, to sort of generate super normal profits. But what was so crazy about uh, about Hertz was that uh, the stock was essentially bankrupt. And at that stage, uh, we obviously had uh, a lot of retail interest coming through from the, the US markets, especially through a platform called Robinhood. They actually bid the stock up, a bankrupt, a bankrupt, essentially a bankrupt company, um, to around $5, which put the company on a $1 billion valuation. Um, Hertz then obviously looked at this and said, well, we know we're bankrupt, but the market doesn't seem to appreciate this. So then they applied to the the SEC to see if they could potentially raise capital at that level. And they were essentially going to almost get themselves out of bankruptcy by issuing worthless shares to people that were for some reason willing to pay $5 for them. So um, the SEC then actually put a stop to it. They said, listen, we, we, we've got to, I suppose, keep some semblance of uh, respectability to the, the US markets and, uh, and and then actually banned the, show, the, the, the sale. But it, it was, it was a, a wonderful ethical question that when, I suppose, markets and adults that, that should have decent investment knowledge uh, just get, you know, the, the fundamental valuation of a company so wrong. Is it unethical for a company then to issue shares and and, and hand them over to these these investors that, that clearly aren't appreciating the, the situation the company is in? It obviously is clearly not the right business to be in right now, car rental. I mean, then compounded by things like Uber and uh, Bolt and Taxify and all these other services, it suddenly starts becoming a very questionable business because it's also a highly 
capex intensive business. It's a very expensive business to run. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I mean, when you look at the size of the fleets that that, that the likes of of Bitvest and Hertz have to run, but just the level of competition in that business, and it's not just competition from from other car rental players. It's as you said, it's, it's competition from new technologies. So, in the one hand, absolutely, you've got you've got the likes of Uber. Do you go and rent a car when you land in the airport, or do you just Uber everywhere as as the price of taxis come down? But it it also comes down to, as I said, mentioned earlier with Tesla, it comes down to the fact that you know the whole industry is rife for disruption at the moment it's it's new technology and not just coming in you know from the uber point of view which essentially just replaces you as the driver and and essentially instead of you know renting the asset for the entire period that you're in a place you only essentially use the asset for the exact moment in which you're doing the trip which is which is the uber business model but i'm i'm particularly interested to see you know when we get to autonomous driving level five which which essentially will even then remove the driver from the car and you will literally just have these pods traveling around with with shuttling people where they need to go and as they need to go there so the whole i think the whole mobility and transport model is, is going to change dramatically over the next 10 years given the advances that we're already seeing in technology and unfortunately dinosaurs like uh, bitvest car rental and and, and hertz are, are going to fall by the wayside but that's i suppose the beauty of a, a capitalist system that while you do see uh, you know inefficient old businesses closing you've got new very very exciting ventures that, that come up and replace it and actually improve the the, the experience that customers have improve the price point at which they come in and uh, yeah just improve the, the general way that that the world works well gary a quick one as we as we wrap up is there any share that's worth looking at this week um yeah so there's a whole lot of shit <laughs> <laughs> really yeah in no, this economy i think um, it, it, I suppose it depends where. There's, there's always value. It just depends where you look. So we work a lot in the in the offshore market at the moment. So there's a couple of stories. I mean, in the local market, you can look at uh, the banks have done exceptionally well over the last uh, week or so. So you've seen NetBank up almost 15%, Standard Bank up about 8%. And I think this is just on the back of the start of earnings season in the US. We had uh, JP Morgan and Wells Fargo reporting yesterday. JP Morgan actually just reporting a massive, massive beat of earnings, a lot better results than people were expecting. You know, on the on the offshore front, though, there's plenty there's plenty of new things. So we, we actually went through a listing with uh, some clients last night uh, of a NASDAQ stock called Encino, which is a, bank, a banking software company run by a South African family, which is, a, is an amazing achievement for a, you know, it's, a it's another young, well, not young, but it's another South African entrepreneur moving offshore. They, they, were, going, they were looking at listing their, their stock of $31 a share. Um, they got the first trade through, I think, at 70 Eight dollars last night and closed almost at ninety dollars on on a, about a is on about a four billion dollar valuation at the moment. So it's great to see South Africans, uh, not just Elon Musk over there doing very well, but there are plenty of other South Africans uh, you know, participating in one of the most exciting markets in the world, in my opinion. Well, Gary, thank you so much for jumping onto uh, the call this morning, giving us a, a quick uh, look at uh, business side and market side uh, of the economy, and uh, I hope we get to catch up again soon. Absolutely, thanks for having me, Gary. On. Thanks so much, man. All right, that was uh, Gary Boyson, portfolio manager at uh, Rand Swiss. And uh, Kriya, this, I guess this alcohol uh, ban hasn't really affected you too much, has it? 
Um, well, I've stocked up, if that makes any difference. To, to an extent, I see it affecting a lot of my friends and people within my circles because a lot of my friends own restaurants or oh. are in the restaurant industry. So for them, it's a big thing because now what? We're going into three months of actually not being able to trade. And that means that a lot of people are not feeding families. A lot of people are not being able to take money home. And it's very, very clear to see how important alcohol is in the restaurant industry. And I say that because when you go out and you want to socialize with friends and that sort of stuff, go to a restaurant, normally you want to have a glass of wine or a little drink that goes with it. So a lot of people are not going out and a lot of people at the moment are not supporting um, restaurants and eating out. And that is a very, very big factor. And it also affects things like the tourism industry. It affects supply and demand. It's uh, your logistics chain. It, it, it affects everything. Absolutely. And I mean, I must say, look, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a huge drinker. So I mean, we've also got, uh, you know, a few bottles here and there. And I mean, uh, the occasional social drink or so. So I can't really say that, uh, you know, it, it's affected uh, me personally too much. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that are dependent on it. And it's a very difficult balance between having to deal with a lot of irresponsible drinking, which is causing all the strain and all this frustration, versus the people who are happy to have an occasional gin and tonic or an occasional glass of wine and not literally, you know, drag everyone yep. and social and health systems into it. So yeah, okay, f- fascinating. And, and and the car rental side, are you more of a an Uber kind of woman, or are you somebody who goes and, and books a car when you when you travel? I do like uh, to take a car because then you can kind of explore different routes and different um, scenic areas and stuff like that without having, obviously, the restrictions that come with having an Uber or a taxi service. But if it's short things for business travel and within the city, then I'm definitely an Uber girl. Well, there we go. I think I'm also very much also an Uber kind of person. But like you say, if it's a a long-distance thing, especially if you go down to Cape Town, I think the trip from the airport to just Cape Town Central is already Mm -hmm. worth just getting a car because I think it's like... 250 or 300 rand with an Uber. So, I mean, you've already got a a day's rental uh, paid for. So, I know we've got uh, Nelson Mandela Day coming up. Uh, You know, it's just around the corner. And uh, I know a lot of people are probably stuck at home. They won't be able to do very much. So, Mm -hmm. I hope they do whatever they can do. I mean, there's a couple of electronic options now in terms of maybe just making a donation or or maybe just doing something in your immediate area with gloves and masks, etc. But uh, I see that um, ASICS uh, South Africa have brought out uh, a a really sort of great commemorative rugby jersey uh, to to mark uh, Nelson Mandela if you had to see my uh, office right now I've actually although I'm not a a big sporting person uh, at the best of times I don't know about you um, I, at some stage in my life, was a South African water player, oh, a wow. water polo player. So oh, wow. okay. <laughs> now I don't think I can even swim a lap in a pool. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, uh, that's, quite a, that's quite a move because, I mean, water polo, you have to be quite, uh, quite fit. Uh, yes, those were those days where, um, you know, you didn't work as much as, as we're working now and you could still spend a lot of time on, on sports and, and, you know, physical activities. <laughs> I hear you. So. If you looked at my my office right now, I've got I'm, I'm, I enjoy the the World Cup parts uh, of the of any sport, be it soccer mm-hmm. or be it rugby, and I've actually started putting together these frames. I've got the '95 World Cup, I've got the 2017 World Cup, now we've got the 2019 World uh, Cup that we've won. So I need to still do those too. Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 a great little collection of, of frame memorabilia, and and that's the one thing I really enjoy. So when I saw this jersey pop up, 
I thought, wow, this could be really interesting. Well, GB, tell us a bit more about this uh, this new release from ASIC South Africa. It's a, it's sort of a Nelson Mandela commemorative jersey. Yeah, so not not necessarily new. It was um, it was to celebrate Madiba's hundredth uh, birthday, um, and it was launched for last year's Sevens series in Cape Town. We didn't want to make it their official jersey for the entire tour of uh, of of all the sort of legs of the Sevens, and it was really again just to just to celebrate uh, Madiba, the person he was, and I think that the part that stood out the most, and probably the part that really appealed to us most, was Madiba was a firm believer in that. Sports had the power to unite the world, to unite people, to unite different cultures. And it was through that that we kind of wanted to celebrate the, the man that he was. We wanted to do it through rugby. We wanted to do it through the Sevens team. Um, and, you know, we've, we've seen the Springboks lift the, lift the World Cup last year. And it's an incredible feeling. It's an incredible way of how rugby, especially last year and how it's continued into this year, has just completely united the nation at a, at a time when you know there's a lot of negativity around COVID and lockdowns and everything else, it's incredible how sport kind of just picks you up and 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 unites everyone. So that was the kind of idea behind doing uh, the jersey. And is it like limited? Are there only sort of a thousand ever made, or how does it work? We purposely didn't want to commercialize it too much because then you're almost seen as 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 making a profit from it and et cetera, et cetera. So we did limit it. Um, we only had a handful of jerseys. We had 500 jerseys in total. Uh, and the proceeds from the jerseys, we didn't pocket. The proceeds from the jersey, we actually donated to the Nelson Mandela Fund. So again, I mean, to, to highlight it, it was, it was really just to celebrate the incredible man that he was and, and not to really make any profit from it at all. And, and all the proceeds from the sale of the jersey, they, they all went to the Nelson Mandela Fund. Now, I've got an interesting question for you. I was just telling Kriya uh, just before we, we jumped onto uh, this interview that I've got these interesting frames up in my uh, study. So I've got the 95 World Cup with the jersey and the pictures and all of that. And then I've got the, the 2017. No, not 2017, 2007. Sorry, 2007, 2019. Yeah, yeah. So when, yeah. the, when the team won the 2019 World Cup and, they, and, and even the, the previous one, 2007, there was like a special jersey that came out with, with all three years on it. And when the World Cup was won, the last one, 2019, I went to the store and I thought, okay, I'm not going to buy the current jersey because I'm sure they're going to bring out sort of like a, a victory winner's sort of jersey. And and it hasn't come out yet. Is there still a plan to, to do that? No, so we, we, we're not necessarily going to have a... Um a celebratory jersey, if you want to call it that. You you see celebratory jerseys be done in pretty much every sport. My personal opinion on it is that it's probably a little bit overdone, if you if you want to call it that. But what we have done is on the Springboks uh, Rugby World Cup winning jersey, we we had made a call in advance not to produce any more, um, and we had released a handful more into the trade. Again, it was really just for those fans out there that wanted to remember. Uh, the Springboks. Um, I also think that, you know, you speak about 95, you speak about 2007 and now 2019. 2019 for me had had something different to it. And as much as what 95 completely united the nation when we really, really needed it, 2019 had a feeling of a completely culturally sort of diverse team. You had you had players from all over. You had the obvious one, which obviously the press have hopped onto, which is Sia. Uh, out of the Eastern Cape, but 
you also had players that came from all walks of life, whether it was a, a black player, white player, color player, whether it was from Eastern Cape, Joburg, Cape Town, it didn't matter. Private schools, government schools, underprivileged. It, it actually, it was from every single walk of life. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is I think that was so significant in that it gave the average boy out there that was maybe, you know, in grade five or six at a, at a school somewhere randomly in South Africa, the belief that they too could become not just someone or something special, but that they could contribute to South Africa through sport. And it gave the kind of average person out there belief that, that they too could make a difference, not just in South Africa, but in the world, like we've seen with the entire Springbok team. I mean, Sia has stood out the most because he's, he's, he's kind of been the front page of a lot of, of everything that's happened. But every single player has just contributed in some way or other to just keeping the game at a time when I think uh, everyone's kind of, you know, a little bit down on what's happening with COVID and, and everything. I, I think at a time, it's, it's perfectly time that it's given people belief. Well, GP, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's exciting that you guys are doing these things. I mean, also new things, doing things a bit differently. I just realized now that I'm going to have to break open my piggy bank now and try and find one of those jerseys because I was holding out for this collector's <laughs> jersey that's obviously not coming. So <laughs> I best get one of those those ones from, from 2019. So at least my collection doesn't have like this uh, discontinuation halfway through. GP, thanks so much for, for jumping on the line. I'm not going to spoil too much for you. But what I will tell you is that we do have something special planned uh, for next year and I can't give too much of it away but it, it's focused around belief it's focused around that it doesn't matter what your upbringing is it doesn't matter from where you come etc etc but um, for the first time in rugby uh, so we've, we've, we've seen collaborations happen in football and other sports but for the first time uh, in rugby we've collaborated with a third party to bring something completely completely new uh, to World Rugby and specifically to the Springboks. I'm not going to give too much away, but just watch this space in about a year's time for something that is completely different to what you've ever seen in rugby. Well, JP, I'm sure we'll be the first to hear about it and you'll uh, jump onto a call with us again and give us the full details <laughs> when you can. So uh, th thanks so much for making the time, J J uh, GP. Yeah, no problem. And thanks for having me. M mille grazie. Eh? And uh, yeah, that was uh, GP from... Uh, ASIC South Africa, uh, 